Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Aloha. Today we have Shannon with us. Shannon, are you there? I am here. Wonderful. Thanks. Um, Let's begin with a quick bio or introduction, if you don't mind, for our listeners. Sure. So um, my name is Shannon Biagi. I am the CEO of Chief Motivating Officers. Uh, We are a company that offers um, organizational behavior management supervision, uh, mentorship coaching, those kinds of things. Um, I'm also the director of operations for the OBM Network, which is a 500-person strong group. Um, It's a special interest group of ABAI, so I'm pretty well entrenched in the organizational behavior management field. So that's pretty much who I am. Awesome. Thanks for joining us today. And it makes perfect sense that I would seek you out to talk about organizational behavior management. So can you start us off and maybe tell us what it is <laughs> exactly? Sure. <laughs> sure. So organizational behavior management is the science of human behavior applied to the world at work. So this is a little bit different than our clinical applications. Um, Typically, uh, in clinical applications, you're working with children with autism, developmental disabilities, um, gerontology, things like that. But OVM is kind of unique in that we span across all of those fields because all of those other fields are um, working with other people like uh, staff members, employees, um, primarily like technicians. So we use the same science that you're using clinically, but we use it in a different way to um, increase employee satisfaction, increase their productivity, um, increase um, how, the, how well the business is doing um, from that kind of business perspective. So that's a little bit about um, OBM. When I was in my doctoral program, I uh, remember reading a lot about Aubrey Daniels and John Austin and getting really kind of excited about the idea. But then in many ways, kind of then went on about my practice and so forth. When people want to approach organizational management or they want to start reading or they want to understand what it is and what it isn't, what do you tell them? Yeah, so uh, Aubrey Daniels is usually the first name that comes to mind when you think about OBM. We consider him the father of um, performance management specifically. And there aren't a lot of resources right now to get education and training in OBM. So I've got a a different talk that I do on how to get started in OBM. And unfortunately, that's one of the big theses of that talk is um, there isn't a lot of training and education out there right now in the field. Um, So... I always encourage people to seek out readings, to seek out um, mentorship and coaching in in this particular area, because just like in clinical um, behavior analysis, you shouldn't be venturing off into areas in which you don't have experience without somebody to kind of help guide you and um, so you don't destroy somebody's business um, with some um, potentially less than informed practices of um, organizational behavior management. So what I kind of wanted to talk to you about today are those, um, what OBM is and is not, because I I end up answering a lot of questions about uh, misconceptions around the science that I know and love. Um, And a little bit more about my background is I've I've actually got a dual degree in both clinical behavior analysis and organizational behavior management. So I had a big opportunity to get that extra um, degree designation in OBM, but that's extremely rare, and it was only because I was at Florida Tech on campus. 
so they don't offer that program online. So I spend a lot of time um, talking to people about um, kind of the, the dichotomies within the science. So, for example, some people think of organizational behavior management as a soft science, so um, not as a database perhaps as our clinical counterparts, but that is really not true. We also focus on what is observable and measurable, and we use that same scientific method that you guys use clinically. Um, we also look at social validity and a number of other um, data-driven data decisions that we make in our practice just like the clinicians do, which is kind of cool. Um, another misconception is people think that we are um, industrial organizational psychology or organizational development or organizational behavior, and probably that last one is the most common mistake, which is completely understandable. Um, when you've got a science called organizational behavior management and a psychological practice called organizational behavior. So we often work with these professionals, but we are not them. So typically they're housed in um, schools, schools of psychology, schools of business, um, and they will typically use group design um, rather than our single subject design. So OBM actually does continue to use a lot of single subject design um, for the same reasons that ABA does. So you're able to better demonstrate um, causation and things like that through um, a, sorry, my cat just jumped up here. <laughs> so through the, uh, the, through the same science, we're using those um, single subject designs. So um, that does not mean that we will not try to impact group behavior because, of course, we're, we're um, intervening on behaviors across groups of employees. So it's not uncommon for us to do some practices that uh, incorporate some group design, but it's not the standard of the field. So just to give you a little bit of an idea of um, who we study and what kind of what we're doing. So do you have any questions so far? I have a thousand questions. Um, <laughs> thanks, thanks for that. I really appreciate the um, the way that you walked through and talked about the conceptualization of of the business and of the science with the idea of working with businesses. I often tell people behavior analysis is the science that I see helping other sciences. Mm -hmm. And in that way, um, it seems like OBM is a practice that helps many other professions. And so it's really nice par parallel there. Um, you know, we talked about how there's not a whole lot of training opportunities but there's a lot of information that people can take and look at the systems with, you know, that, that they are surrounded with, right? Whether that's mm -hmm. their current employment, whether that's a, a church or religious system or some other community organization. Do you, um, how do you feel the question of like, how can I incorporate some of these practices or where's a good place to start or how do I get involved in learning more? Or maybe the question, you know, what is it that you or your agency offers other organizations. Right, so um, a few years ago we coined a term, some of us uh, as practitioners, called OBM Inside. So most people when they think about organizational behavior management, they've got this image in their head of this, you know, usually some white guy getting onto a plane with a briefcase to go consult to a Fortune 500 company. But that's really not the reality many times of what we're actually doing. and any behavior analyst can and should be what we call an OBM insider, which means that you're using the science of human behavior to work with your staff members and to keep them engaged and motivated to do the work that you need them to do. 
um, especially in a clinical context, I, I have this kind of metaphor that I use that is, you know, if you're not using OBM if you're, and if your staff are not, you know, motivated to do the work that you need to do, your behavior plan is basically a very expensive stack of paper because if they're not willing to follow through on what you've written in that behavior plan and they're not motivated and happy doing it, um, your, your clinical um, recommendations don't account to anything because nobody's following through on those recommendations. So I encourage really every behavior analyst to get some education and training in organizational behavior management. And there's a number of uh, courses available online. There are a number of really great books that you can read to start getting that education. Um, but what I actually find more valuable and the whole reason I formed my company was that in order to be able to do it, just like any, any clinical application, you need to be mentored. You need to have somebody who's hands-on working with you. So that's kind of why, why I do what I do to build um, behavior analysts that are you know, well-educated in OBM and strategies for supervision and leadership um, that we're not really getting in, in our um, clinical training or our um, really any training that's being currently provided to um, behavior analysts through like a university. There has been some changes coming, so there are more and more um, course sequences that are incorporating courses in OBM, and I'm really, really excited for that. Um, so that'll help um, lift some of the weight off of my back uh, as I'm trying to help educate the field more and more about um, this particular application of behavior analysis. In regard to the special interest group, 500 members strong is really quite impressive. Um, what is it? What are some of the initiatives, or what is it that the members find valuable about being part of that that group? Would you say? Yeah. So the the organizational behavior management network we are the um, largest paid special interest group, which is really nice. And what those members are getting for um, very little, it's, it's easily less than $100 and less than $50 for students to join, um, less than $100 for professionals. So when you join the OBM network, you actually get access to the Journal of Organizational Behavior Management, JOBM. So often people re refer to, you know, the Journal of uh, Applied Behavior Analysis, JABA, or the Journal of the Experimental Analysis of Behavior, JAB. Um, JOBM is up there with those um, flagship journals for our field. Um, so you get access to that as, as part of your membership, which is one of the big drivers of um, membership for our organization. We also typically have, or we've been trying to have monthly webinar series. For members, they're free for members and like $10 for um, non-members, where we get different speakers from different areas within the field of OBM. So kind of like how ABA has different um, sub-areas within ABA, so you've got, you know, uh, animal behavior, you've got um, gerontology, you've got the autism sector, you've got OBM. Um, OBM actually has a number of sub-areas within it as well, so um, what we primarily know is, um, or what we primarily see folks knowing about is actually performance management, which is the, the Aubrey Daniels, the William B. Abernathy style of um, practice. But there's also other areas like behavioral safety. There are areas in change management, um, behavioral systems analysis, these other um, large, large portions of the science of human behavior applied at work. Um, and that, those are the kind of speakers that we tend to bring in, um, in addition to some like OBM human service settings types of folks as well. So those are just a couple of the things that are um, nice benefits of being part of um, the OBM network. And we've actually got our 
conference happening in August this year. Um, we do our conference uh, stateside one year and then overseas um, another year. So last year we were in Sweden and I got to do a couple talks over there. And this year we're going to be in Virginia. So if anybody wants to learn a bit more about the science of human behavior applied at work, um, the OBM Network Conference is definitely the place to be. And where can people go and learn more information or, or what sites do they go to to get that? So you can just go to um, www.obmnetwork.com and um, there will be links there for you to access some of that information, um, to join. And if you guys have any questions, you can always reach out to me, um, Shannon at chiefmotivatingofficers.com um, with any questions. Right on. Thanks for sharing that information. And I think that, you know, maybe that will help with membership. But really my um, goal in asking that question was just trying to get a sense of that verbal community and what it is that you're building or that the group of people are working together on collaboratively. And it's really nice to see, um, uh, I don't want to say sub areas, but the tentacles of the field really kind of becoming more robust. And I'll admit for myself as well, performance management is kind of where I thought it was at until mm -hmm. I started delving more into it. And you could spend your entire lifetime just working on, and, and people have, performance management. Um, so it's nice that there are people interested in kind of extending out those areas as well um, and really useful to know. Mm -hmm. What else do you think people ought to know or should know or have you learned maybe on your journey um, talking about the clinical background and then merging or not merging even, but considering those sciences together, hearing you talk about um, single subject designs, database decisions, being socially significant really helps paint the parallels. Um, anything else about your journey that you think others would, would like to hear about, feel free to share. Um, I think another one of the kind of misconceptions that I get even from clinical folks, and it's really understandable, um, they want OBM as a quick fix. They want to implement uh, OBM solutions in order to change a behavior problem overnight, but just in the same way that when we go in and do clinical interventions, it's going to take time, and there's going to be bumps in the road along the way, and we have to continue looking at the data and making changes. It's, it's a really great parallel, really, to clinical practice, and it's unfortunate when people come in and say, you know, OBM doesn't work because it didn't, you know, reverse your turnover problem in a matter of a couple of weeks, when in reality it's kind of a long game, just like clinical behavior analysis. So really getting people to understand that you've got to take time, you've got to have um, people with expertise in the area working on it and monitoring those data, um, that would probably be one of the uh, other big things is that it's not set and forget, it's not a quick fix. Um, you, you have to really focus and dig in and get ready to be a little bit uncomfortable with some of the information that you might get, especially around like turnover and employee engagement. Um, leaders um, don't like being held accountable for some of their behavior, but unfortunately um, leadership is one of the most common issues that we end up addressing. Um, because we, as leaders, we set up the, the environmental contingencies around what our employees do. We are in control of the environment, and as we know, the environment is what influences behavior. So it's really hard to get through to, say, a CEO or, you know, a, a high-level manager and tell them, you know, in part, you're the problem. It's just like trying to tell a parent, like, hey, you know, some of your behavior is actually contributing to the problem behaviors that we're seeing in, in your child, and that's, 
it's not easy. And I'm sure you can, you can empathize with that for sure. I often tell people it's not that you're the problem. It's just that you have a lot of power to be part of the solution, right? right. Like, so you have so much power in your hands. Let's help you understand how to wield and, and use it wisely. I think whenever people are asking for feedback, um, that's something I was taught along the way. If you really want authentic feedback, be a person who's willing to ask for it mm -hmm. um, and then listen to the feedback. And, yes, it's really uncomfortable but it is a really, I think, authentic and good way to learn to grow. You did talk about, and I definitely can relate to, you know, it, we're in it for the long haul. But when I am first working with a parent or a teacher, sometimes I'll say, here's the quick thing that we can achieve, right? Like, mm -hmm. right now we can probably get this to, you know, occur a little less intensely. Or we might be able to, in a few weeks, look for this sort of indicator of change. Or maybe it's a few months. Do you feel like there are some early um, indicators of change or things that are that your data is sensitive enough that can start to show to an organization or a leader like, hey, we're on the right track? Very much so, and so much so that some colleagues of mine have coined the term quick wins. So uh, shout out to Polly Gloves Gavoni and Manuel Rodriguez, who wrote an entire book on this concept of um, going into an organization, theirs was specifically around um, educational leadership and how you can implement some things where the um, higher-ups within the setting can see that changes are happening, they're getting like these quick, easy results, these fast results that then can sell them on that long game of like, hey, you're not going to have to wait six months to see the impact of what OBM can do for you. We're going to achieve some quick wins along the way. They're like they're short-term goals, essentially. So hit those short-term goals, see those changes, and then you can really sell, you know, that long game to leadership. But most of the time, the leadership are so focused on that long game, it's very hard to get them to um, dial it back for some of those quick wins at times. So it's, it's, it's a struggle that a lot of us kind of face, but um, setting those realistic short-term goals can really help. Definitely. When I'm thinking about even IEP objectives uh, in a clinical mm -hmm. sense, I will say to people, let's think about what the learner can do independently. And sometimes they'll say to me, well, that's just it's not possible. You know, he's not going to cross the street independently right now. And I'll say, then let's break it down, right? Like maybe we need even shorter <laughs> goals or more mm -hmm. earlier entry points, if you will. Um, and yes, we we all want him to cross the street safely and independently, but maybe right now he can listen and respond to stop within five feet of somebody in the hallway. And well, so we look at shifting that kind of context. And again, I think painting a lot of the parallels to clinical practice and the work that's incorporated into what you're talking about today is really helpful um, for people like myself and maybe for other listeners as well. Um, so I appreciate that. Shannon, before we uh, end today, and I know there's so many things we could talk about in re with regard to this topic, but is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience, any information, shout-outs? Um, I know you've done some of that already, but any other um, upcoming events, feel free to do that. Sure. Um, I would check out the – we have our, our Facebook group where uh, we post constant, like, free resources and stuff. It's the OBM slash management Skillshare. It's kind of a – off of the ABA Skillshare that's a little bit more specialized. So if anybody's really interested, that's a really great step to take to start seeing, you know, what individuals are talking about within the field of OBM specifically. 
Um, and again, you can always reach out to me. I gave my email a little bit earlier. I'm more than happy to help people troubleshoot and figure things out. I give away a lot of time for free because I, I believe that this is so, so important to be able to help um, behavior analysts grasp you know, how to be better leaders, how to be better employers, and how to you know, make everybody happy within their organization as best they can so they can get those clinical results that they're looking for. Again, with, without your employees, you don't get any clinical results, really, unless you're, you're a completely solo behavioral practitioner. So I would definitely start you know, checking out some of the resources available to you guys online um, related to OBM. And I think the world would be a much better place if we had a lot of happier people and people happy with their jobs. So it's in that sense, uh, it's a very, I think, important, uh, pivotal thing to disseminate. And it has some global implications, not just on our consumer satisfaction with some performance management, but all the other areas that you started to talk to us today about as well. Jen, thank you so much for joining uh, us and for giving this information to the listeners of the podcast. No, you guys are so welcome. And for anyone who's interested in learning more information, perhaps we'll update the page on organizational behavior management, but feel free to pop over to www.behaviorbabe.com. 